This is where normal comes to die. Mediocrity meets its final demise, and the status quo is unabashedly dismantled. Welcome to Reinvention Radio. Now, here's your host, Steve Olsher. Alrighty, welcome to another edition here of Reinvention Radio. Oh man, I'm so excited. What's up, Mary Goulet? How are you? The lovely Doing Mary well. Goulet. Thank you. Richie Ote, what's going on, baby babyish? Hey, what's happening? How are you? All right, all right. Wait, wait, it's holding it down in the studio. I actually saw Kelly milling around here somewhere. She's, uh, there's Kelly. Kelly's hanging out. What is going on? And, uh, what does she have a vacation property here? Evidently, now she does. Now she's in San Diego hanging out with us all the time. And man, I've just been waiting for this. <laughs> Dude, ugh. Oh, for heaven's sake! You know, look. Here we th- go. Th- this is going to be. Uh, uh, th- th- this is this is hopefully not the last reinvention radio we ever do, with the group of us being together, because I have a feeling th- there may be some differing opinions. Just a hunch. There may be some differing opinions here that uh, that could be expressed. The uh, funny and, part is it's probably not going to come from the people they think it's going to come from, right? Unless they've been listening for a oh, while. Oh man! All right, so. Needless to say, there's a lot going on in the world right now that needs to be addressed. But we'll leave all the global stuff alone. We'll look right here at what's going on at home with this whole thing going on around immigration. I mean, Rick, I'm, I'm, so Rick Sturger's here hanging out with us, the immigration guy himself, hanging out with us. We had a chance to meet at the New Media Summit. And actually, we met at an event before that, and you came to the New Media Summit. Uh, and I can't imagine... Uh, a more timely interview that we could be doing right now, uh, just given everything that's going on in the world. Uh, Rick, I'll let you introduce yourself uh, and bring people up to speed on uh, kind of your backstory and all this and all that. But, you know, Time Magazine uh, literally just released their new cover. Um, and what they did on this new cover is they put uh, sort of that iconic photo that's been Released, uh, you've seen this photo of a, of a small uh, Hispanic boy uh, just crying. I mean, literally in tears of being separated from his from his family at the border and everything that's going on with uh, you know separating kids from their parents and so on. And, and they put him crying, looking up uh, at, a, at a a picture of Donald Trump. Right. So it's. <sighs> I know it's all his fault. Every single bit of it. I yes. Let the games begin. Let the games begin. <laughs> so, regardless of what side of the fence you are on politically, one could certainly say, without a shadow of a doubt, that separating is it a children. Fence now? It's not a wall. It's a wall. It's a fence. It's a border. Who knows what it is? But regardless of what we call it, I mean, separating children from their parents is inexcusable, no matter what your political leanings are. I will say that. And does something need to be done? Of course. Is there a solution that we can come up with? I don't know. But I know that separating children from their there parents... There has to be a solution. I mean, this is not, not just... imminent or likely. Yeah. But it, it's not like this is a new problem. It's a new problem. Uh, in, in, you know, I don't want to get into too many details about what makes this different than what has been. I, I want to... Like, we could go crazy granular on this, but I don't want to do that. Let's let's start more sort of top level and bring in Rick. So Rick Sturger is here with us, uh, a.k.a. the immigration guy himself. That is me. Uh, but you've not always been an immigration attorney. Like, this is, not, this, is, this is not something you've done sort of from day one in terms of your career, right? So take, take us back a little bit. Uh, and then your, re, your reinvention, and I just want to get an understanding of how you got to this place 
uh, right. of being right. the, the immigration guy? Well, you know, I, I got to law school. So nice and close on that mic. Yeah, I got to go. law school after working at the NAACP Legal Defense and Education Fund. I was their first undergraduate that they ever took into an internship role. So I kind of always had this kind of public interest leaning. Um, after my first semester of law school, I received a fellowship to go down to Brownsville, Texas. And when I was down there, it was to represent people who were in detention at the Brownsville Detention Center. At that time, it was a defunct Air Force base. It literally had, like, no... No heating, no air conditioning, down all the way down on the tip, down near South. Which Padre year was Island. this? This was in 1994. Okay. So 1994 to 1995, I went over my Christmas break. So I left like the day after Christmas, came back a couple of days into 95. And that was my first foray into actually, you know, doing some type of direct legal work where I was the attorney. I sat at a table, I got to object. We won our case, and it was actually a Nigerian man. But that was my first. So literally the first law that I practiced was asylum law. Mm. Um, I graduated from law school and went more into the corporate area. Um, Mm -hmm. It paid better. It paid better. Yeah, right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, And and I lasted there for a couple of years, but there was always this sense of this entrepreneurial sense, independent sense that I always had. And I, I quickly was able to convert a client that I brought to the firm into a personal client. And the retainer that they were paying was more than I made paying, you know, getting paid by the law firm. So I made the jump. Quickly after that, I started getting referrals of immigration cases. And by pure serendipity, I ended up back running an immigration practice. Yeah. Um, I jumped out of that when I moved to California after my first kid. So mm-hmm. I was living out in Minneapolis. We Bam. moved out there from San Diego. <laughs> what part of Minneapolis? Uh, down, right downtown. Okay. I, you know where the uh, Budweiser sign and the Chevy sign Yes, y- Yes, I do. I lived <laughs> in that building. They I lived oh in gosh. the sign. Yeah. Yes, yes. Everybody knows it, you know. Yeah. Um, so... We moved back out here. We had kind of chosen Minnesota as one of the places we would live because it was good for family. And then when we finally had a child, we realized, well, it's good for family because everybody's family's back there. And our families are in Southern California and San Diego. So we moved back to San Diego. And this was just before the dot-com bubble. And I was going to have to rebar in California and all this Mm -hmm. stuff. And I took a job in with Sprint. I, I, I got a number of offers from different dot coms, but every time I would talk to these guys, I, I was coming from the Midwest, which is much more practical about things. Yeah. And I could not figure out why these guys were getting money when they didn't have business plans that even showed revenue. Yeah. Right. And so I didn't have a lot of faith in it. So I made the pick and shovel decision and chose to go with Sprint. And it was just a job that I was going to do, but I was. Did you just not want to rebar? I mean, obviously, it's. A, I, have, I have a buddy who uh, was in Chicago, so we lived in Chicago for a long, long time. And I had a buddy who was uh, had uh, he had passed the bar in Illinois and uh, knew that he wanted to move to Southern California. And unbeknownst to me, he had been studying and doing all this the whole nine to get licensed in uh, in California. And he said the California bar was just an absolute bear. So was that was that part of it for you? Like you just didn't want to have to deal with that, so you just took a job and said. Forget it at that it, moment. It was actually timing, timing at the time. So back then, you, it, they didn't have all this rapid application process and things. So you, would had, you had to apply sometime in March or April. And we couldn't move until my wife had a job. Yeah, uh, She was kind of the anchor that was going to bring us out here. And she very quickly, when she applied, because that was just everything was in run-up. She was in marketing. I mean, she was snapped up four offers in like two weeks. Mm. And the timing of it was is I had just missed the deadline for filing for the July bar. Mm-hmm. And then the July bar, you take it at the end of July, you get your results in October. And then the next bar is in February, you get your results in May. So I was out of the game for a year no matter what. Yeah. yeah. And so I took a job working with Sprint. 
that was one of my clients ended up being Kyocera, who was acquired by Qualcomm, leveraged me into this kind of handset space. I moved out of that job and was given a job doing a project for some investment bankers, developing a division of one of the Samsung's distributors. Was very successful at that. Motorola came knocking. And all of a sudden, I found myself in product strategy, business strategy in the handset market during just the absolute Wild West days, you know, going from like 30% market penetration to 120% market penetration. People having two phones and the whole nine. Yeah, it was crazy. So at what point then did you, so so you you were like, I mean, this is the polar opposite of what you're doing now. So was there a calling? What was that turning point moment? Like, when did you wake up and you say, I got to get back into this and then... Specifically, how did you end up getting into immigration law? I mean, I know you had danced in that before, but was it just like you just you were just drawn back to it? Well, first, everything had to fall apart in that area. You know, like it was the economy collapsed, yeah. marriage collapsed, you know, drinking too much, partying too much, hanging out with the wrong guys. Why are you looking at Rich? Yeah. old friends. Yeah. We might have hung out together, but. It's still foggy. Yeah. It may come back so to you, me someday. So you did get divorced. I did. And way too much partying. Would you have like a come to Jesus moment and you just said, I got to I gotta clean this up. I got to do something a little more. Like What was what was that moment? What was uh, you, that? you know, the, the moment that, that I really had to make a decision that I had to do something on career was um, what was I going to do about being a father? Mm. Um, in my role before, I traveled 50 to 70 percent of the time and you know, if I at best had 50% custody, it just wasn't going to work. The number, the math didn't work out. And I wanted to be there for my kids. They were getting a little bit older. I think my son was around eight or nine and my daughter was six or seven. And mm-hmm. um, it was time to uh, to make a choice and like put what was most importantly. My kids were very well taken care of when I traveled because my, my ex is like a terrific mom. We had a live-in nanny. Like, None of those things were going to happen, yeah. <laughs> maintaining two houses. So uh, that was kind of the reality that said I had to change something. Um, immigration came, acro- came about uh, probably because when I stopped messing around, uh, I, I gained the ability to just be still a little bit. Mm-hmm. And the first two years, I I've, I've, uh, took a consulting gig. And I really was just about like trying to see where am I supposed to go. I love your book. Because your book talks about that. It talks about how do we make this transition into, into what we're really about. And yeah. for me, that took a lot of waiting. Like my, my, my instinct is to just dive into the next thing. As long as the paycheck's big enough, yeah. let's go. Um, and this was different. And what happened was I was, in a, I, I was doing a consulting gig. I was with a big insurance company downtown. And I used to – I smoked at the time. So I used to go out front. And there's always that crew of people that smoke. Mm-hmm. And, and – I got to be friends with this Kelly. guy. Who <laughs> yeah, Kelly's raising her hand going, that's me. I'm out there. Yeah, so you develop these relationships with people that the only thing you really have in common is that you smoke. This guy happened to work for Internal Affairs for Customs and Border Protection. Mm. Huh. And we had already established, like, friendliness. And one day he came in really upset, and he made the comment that uh, uh, you don't have to be a lawyer to practice immigration in California. I remember thinking that sounds completely whack. And then I remembered what he was really talking about is that you don't have to be licensed in California to practice immigration law because immigration law is 100 percent federal. Uh, all the hearings are done in administrative, by administrative law judges. It's, a, it's just like Social Security. It's run, maintained. The laws are enacted by Congress. There's no state laws that, are, that ever come into play. And 
that just the bells went off like so wait your so uh, so just just so i'm clear on this if something is so like if we think about it from the standpoint of like i don't know cannabis as an example i mean cannabis is a federal it's it's under federal jurisdiction i mean states have their own thing but like if you wanted to be a cannabis attorney and 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 uh, argue on a on a on a sort of a federal level if you will you don't need to be licensed because there's no federal licensing like there's no bar or anything you have to pass to be there's two those are two separate yeah, things yeah. i'm well, trying well, to understand we, okay so it, so this has to do with that the area of immigration is actually authority over it is directed in the constitution so the only person who can the only body that can make a law respecting immigration is congress no states can make laws about immigration. There's, okay. You know, and, and you have to kind of understand the Constitution. In the Tenth Amendment, it says that, you know, the states shall, be, shall have the ability to make laws respecting anything that's not particularly outlined in the Constitution. Essentially, that's what it says. Mm-hmm. Well, this is an area that is specifically outlined in the Constitution. And because it's specifically outlined in the Constitution and delegated authority is – well, authority under the Constitution is granted uh, to Congress to make these laws, uh, the states don't get a chance to, to weigh in on them. Mm-hmm. And okay. we've seen areas where states have been challenged on it that you're actually wading into uh, enforcement of immigration. And where you see resistance by states like California that resist getting into it, they say very clearly, like, we're not going to participate in this because this is 100 percent a function of the federal government. Mm-hmm. And that rests in the Constitution. So when Jerry Brown says, I'm not going to send troops down to enforce immigration <laughs> – He's really saying it's like it's literally none of my business. There's nothing that my state can do to direct the law, so enforcement of it should have nothing to do with our state. That's so then, well, in addition, to, oh sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, in addition to that, it would affect his business if he got everyone out of it. <laughs> so just yeah, I mean, some of the sheer numbers. I mean, when we're talking about immigration, I was thinking about this the other day. I pulled up a list of the populations of the fifty states. Mm-hmm. Do you know we could get rid of the bottom ten states? by population size, and that would be less than the 11 million people we're talking about removing out of the country. That's how difficult it is. Imagine, like, trying to clear 11, uh, 10 states of their entire population, mm-hmm. and now you're trying to find these, the same size or amount of people, and you're going to move it out. And then what are the unintended consequences of that, too, are always a big thing that I look yeah. at. Like, you know, what happens to a, to a forest that you cut 11 million trees out of? Mm-hmm. So going back to Governor Brown, okay. where does the Border Patrol come into play? They're federal, correct? Correct, yeah. So, so Do you know if, what I mean? If they need reinforcement, just to like, okay, everybody, while we figure out this immigration thing, can we just have you stop coming across the border or putting your children in harm's way? We need support with the Border Patrol to just stop the flow. Is that a statement or a question? A little of both. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't yeah. hear the question. I didn't either. So I don't know the nitty-gritty of all this, but if Governor Brown said, I'm not going to go ahead and send troops to help the Border Patrol at the border because it's none of my business, I don't understand that logic. Still don't hear a question. So in other words, I mean, but... It, mm, I don't. In other words, well... The only, I mean, the only people under the jurisdiction of, of Governor Brown would be like like uh, chips. I mean, like the California Highway, National Highway Guard. Patrol and National Guard. Yeah. Well, actually, no. National Guard is yeah is the state. It's state a state. It is state. Yeah. It is state. Yeah. So and 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 Governor Brown did send our state na- uh, National Guard down to assist in administrative functions, but not assist in 
mm-hmm. actual detention or handling of uh, people that enter the United States. Right, so legally because to Rick's point, it, you know, you're, you're also still doing your job in California, mm-hmm. but this is a federal job. It's a federal issue, yeah. Or a federal issue, yeah. Yeah, so, so let's, I just want to back up for 12 seconds here, and then we can move it forward. Okay. So I just want to try to understand. So you, you did or you did not get your, your bar? You, you did or you did not pass the California bar? I never took the California bar. You never bar. took the California bar? Never had bar. to. I practiced federal law exclusively. Wade, you're jumping out of your chair. Well, I, just to, to Mary's point. Mary, it's not that Governor Brown says... This whole immigration issue has no impact on California, therefore it's not my problem. What he's saying is how you guys are choosing to try to deal with this problem is completely stupid. And it's not my problem to try to support you in executing a stupid version of the solution. Mm -hmm. But it's not that, oh, it has nothing to do with California. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So, so So you didn't take the bar. You didn't have to take the bar. As the immigration guy, you I mean, you don't put yourself out there and say, hey, I'm, I'm – do you say I'm your attorney? Do you – like what? No, I'm absolutely their attorney. You so, are their attorney. So how it works is, is that my authority to practice before USCIS, Department of Homeland Security, or the Justice Department, the Justice Department being the courts, they run the immigration courts. Mm-hmm. Um, my authority exists in a federal grant of licensing. Essentially what the, fed, what the immigration court says is they do – a check on me. I have to show them that I'm a member in good standing, a member of a bar of one of the 50 states. And oh, if okay. I am, I am then able to practice in these So as long as you're courts. licensed in one state somewhere, then, okay, so people hire you to do what? Win. Win, <laughs> win what? Win, win citizenship? Win yeah, what, what? in some circumstances it's citizenship. So we certainly, we do about 20% of our, our work is done in the area of family petitions. So that would be, you know, my U.S. citizen kid turns 21 um, and my parent is a, a lawful permanent resident, has been, but only gained their lawful permanent residency after I was 21. So they couldn't extend it to me. As a child, because I was no longer a minor, I've had a petition pending for, you know, 20 years now, and there's still not a visa available to a 21-year-old child of a lawful permanent resident. Cause so it usually is, that a, is that a dreamer? Is that – and I'm so confused by it. So a dreamer yeah. is someone – so would that, would that child – would that be would, – would that child fall under the classification of a dreamer? No. Not, not no. necessarily. I mean, there, there's requirements under dream, dreamers. Are, are, are there's a broader category of dreamer now, but essentially, dreamers were people that were here before 2012 for at least five years. They were under 31 years of age. They were either in school or graduated from high school, mm-hmm. and they didn't have a criminal background. That's mm-hmm. your that's your prototypical. That is. But what, what you described, you could be in. describing this this person whose parents have. Been, yeah. Potentially, they, these people would probably be older than this because they have a child that's 21 years old, so they wouldn't okay. fit within kind of these 31-year-old parameters of initial They have some DACA. young kids, but not like 11-year-olds having mm-hmm. kids. Yeah. All right, so in, your yeah. words, what, so in your words, what's going on right now? Like, what's the big to-do? All this shit's been going down forever, so what's the big to-do right now, right? I mean, is this is the new the, thing that's going on? What, what's going on? No, the big to-do is is that, you know, nationalism is on fire in our country. Like, and how do you idea, define nationalism? Uh, I define it by people, this idea that we're, we're going to close off our country and somehow be isolationist and that there was this kind of – there is this way America is or was and that's the way we should keep it or that's the way we should go back to it being. And, mm-hmm. the, and we see these movements uh, and that's really what's dictating this stuff to me. I mean 
it started off, I think there were some valid arguments about border security that came in around 9-11. I mean, I was, I was on the ground in Manhattan when the planes hit. I watched the second wow. plane go into the tower. Did I was really? trapped there for five days. Yeah. And, you know, my dad, my, son, my brother, he was working for AIG. Uh, they were in the towers. Their headquarters were in the towers. My dad had both his kids out here with no communication. Like, I, I know what it is and how devastating that whole terrorist aspect was. And it's important that we protect our borders from terrorism. But that's not what we have going on here on our borders now. And, and my simple example to that is, is, you know, these terrorists are well-funded organizations. We have plenty of information on how much they have. They have trucks. They have armies. They have all of this stuff. If they're that well-funded and our issue is to block terrorism – what are we doing about the other 3,000 miles of border to the north? Mm-hmm. No one's calling for a wall up there. Mm-hmm. So let's take terrorism and this idea that we're national security out of this. And let's talk about what we're really looking at and why people keep coming here. So are, are they doing this sort of under the, in your mind, are they doing this sort of under the, the blanket of, of terrorism and trying to prevent terrorism, which is the need, which is the the underlying need for securing our borders, is that... I think that's what initially gave us a focus on. Look, I grew up in San Diego. Richie grew up in San Diego. I mean, we could go back and forth over the border. Everybody could. Like, mm-hmm. I knew kids that that, lived, that were Mexican we were, that would go, go over back there and 15, forth. 15, 16 years old. Yeah. You mm-hmm. could just stumble across the border, and as long as you were coherent enough to say U.S. citizen in English... That's literally all you You were had to admitted say. back into mm-hmm. the country. And if you were in a car, they just stood there and waved carloads of kids you. through every Friday and Saturday, well, not even night, morning, right. <laughs> they would right. wave yeah. us all back into the United States. So we had this very porous border. Literally back then, you could, the, where the USCIS is now, it's completely different, but there was one building that you would come out of. You'd come in on one side of the freeway, and that was just turnstiles. There was nobody there to check you coming in. Mm. Mexico didn't care. They were like, come on. Yeah, sure. even to this day, it's funny. It's like you just you just like going into Mexico. That's the you just go to like the guys are standing there. They don't they don't care at that's all. Right. That's yeah. right. trying to come back yeah, in. Yeah, whenever you went, whenever I saw cars going into secondary that were going into Mexico, I was like, man, you really must have. Like, that's right. They're looking for you. Were you right? shooting the gun on the way in? <laughs> yeah, right. You know. So what? Speak so to what the What I was going to yeah, say is just really quick, just to complete that. Like literally back then, there was a building on the other side that you would go when you were exiting the United States, and you just have to say that you're a U.S. citizen. Now, there was an alley that you could cut through, and it, there would be people that would peel off that were Mexican, and they would peel off. they go around the back. There was a hole in the fence back there, and then you'd meet your friend who was Mexican on the other side of the border. You'd go through. They'd go through the hole, and you'd both meet back on the other side. I mean, that's how simple and porous wow. our border was. And I bring that up because national security-wise, there was an issue. We really did have to secure our borders. And Mm -hmm. this isn't about securing our borders anymore. What we're talking about, and that's where I was trying to transition to, is the people that we have coming over and the people that everybody's so angry about, terrorists are not sending, uh, you know, cells of Guatemalan Mayan women with their baby kids in here to commit terrorism. So let's separate it out. We have two things going on. One is we have a need for a secure border because we do have threats from outside. And two is we have to recognize that there is a humanitarian crisis happening in Central America. And we have had our hand in the middle of this mess in Central America all the way back to the, to the Contra days in Nicaragua, sure, and El Salvador, sure. Honduras, Guatemala. We're totally involved with it. We've been, we, are, we are 100% complicit. And largely the people – we're the ones who buy the drugs that ship through there. And the mm-hmm. cartels are heavily involved there. I mean – Guatemala borders along Mexico. That entire region is 
a war between separate cartels that want to control that space to bring drugs and supplies from making drugs into Mexico. Uh, we're the ones that use all those drugs. That, there's a reason that all paths head north. Mm-hmm. And then and additionally is, is that the, the biggest rise has been in the gangs. And yeah. These are American gangs that were transplanted to El Salvador, Honduras, and Guatemala. Mm-hmm. They didn't start MS-18. 13. On the, there's both. Two. Okay. <laughs> so, wow. It depends on your block, right? Yeah. So, yeah. But, Cribs but, are the whatever. Right. So yeah. MS is – they're two separate organizations. But those were all started in Los Angeles, you know, yeah. and we exported – that gang problem down there. And it was an effective solution for us. It was, it, was a, it was a proper use of immigration law to send people that were arrested for crimes. So, so let me just ask you a question then. So is all of this, this recent, mm, all, all of these recent issues, is this, is this a ploy for Trump to get his wall funded? Like, in other words, if I'm going to, I will go ahead and I will allow immigration to take place in the way that the public demands he calls it his four pillars, right? So he's got these four pillars of immigration that he's looking to focus on. And is this is this is this build up now? Is this crackdown now? Is this really in your mind? Is this just a ploy with which to get the the wall funded? Do you see the two as being tied together? I I, I don't. I, I th- you know honestly, I, I'm going to give the best intention possible to him. Is this guy has made promises. And I think he tries in a million different ways to say that he is living up to his promises. Mm-hmm. And the results or the, the collateral effects of this have little to do with the idea of what it means for him to keep that promise. Mm-hmm. And so when he says, I'm going to build a wall, and we tell him who's paying for it, right. he goes, well, I'm going to figure out every way possible to make it like we have a wall. I... I I really think people have to get to – I mean, these things that happen, this is no difference. We, we have guys out there saying that the purpose of this policy is deterrence, right? We're trying to scare people away from coming to the, the border because of this catch and release. And I think it really misses what I was talking to you before, which is there is a humanitarian crisis. Mm-hmm. Here's the example that I used back when it was un, unaccompanied minors. Now, you have before you ever think about unaccompanied minors – just imagine that the people in Guatemala love their children as much as we love our children in America. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then what would it take to send your seventeen-year, seven-year-old, along with their eleven-year-old brother, sixteen hundred miles, along a path that is filled with just the worst of humanity, looking to exploit people mm-hmm. that are most vulnerable? What would it take for you, who loves your child? to do that how bad would the situation have to be and then for one second assume that that's exactly what these guatemalan parents are going through when they finally sent their kids off mm-hmm. and we don't look at it like this like there really is a crisis in human in in guatemala they're really I, I have these guys in my office every single day like real people being beaten threatened extorted the level of extortion in that country paid to gangs it's insane. Mm-hmm. And these people literally can no longer support or feed their families. Mm-hmm. They have land being taken away from them. They're beaten mercilessly. Some of the medical reports, I was just looking at a medical report the other day, multiple lacerations to the head. It had this weird uh, phrase. started with an E. I had to Google it to find out what it was. But it was the pooling of blood under the skin. It was bruising. But this edema. guy, a, No, something Not else. But, but anyway, this guy, and then he had broken ribs. Mm. And, and Why? 
because he wouldn't turn his farmland over to one of the cartel guys that wanted his place. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is a piece of property. The only thing their family owns, they've grown mangoes and a few other crops on this property for over 40 years. And it's the only thing they have. And he has no way to feed his, par- his family. So people are coming here out of desperation. They're sending their children here out of desperation. Absolutely. What, what... You, you go down there yeah. enough. Oh. Well, finish your thought, Richard. I was just going to say, you go down there enough and you look at it from the perspective that Rick's talking about right now. And I'd say, I'd be jumping over that wall every flipping day. Mm-hmm. I'd be busting down because this is the land of opportunity. And I'll say it because maybe he's playing politically correct right now. It's a it's bullshit to try to blame it on these people for the problems. This isn't where the problems are coming from. Like he said earlier, you know, a You're Guatemalan the family the with wall. a couple kids that it, are getting it, taken back to, to scare. But it, to me, a belief is just a thought you keep thinking over and over and over and over and over again. And if you keep thinking the same thoughts over and over again and keep looking at it and just bear down and stick to your beliefs and not hear it with empathy from another side doesn't mean you have to agree yeah. but hear it from their side one you know one way in my opinion this is just an easy way he picks the easiest simplest phrases he can to look like he can get his brand out there even more i built a wall he probably want his freaking name on the side of the damn mm-hmm. wall so this is just to get attention in my opinion, mm-hmm. because it's a diversion because it, 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 politics in general, the way it's being played right now, is talk about a bunch of shit and in a way that doesn't really matter to just file, fire people up to get them to pay attention to what you're saying. Yeah, Wade, what were you going to say? Well, uh, three quick comments. Uh, during the French Revolution, there is a saying, you can make the penalty for stealing bread death. And that will not stop a father from trying to feed his children. Mm. Right? Exactly. I mean, you nailed it. And that's what's going on here in this idea of deterrence. It's like deterring a crack addict back in the 80s. Like, you don't stop an addict from doing it. You can make the penalty in jail as much as you want. They're going to be on that pipe the next day. The day they get let out of jail, the day they get let out of detention, they're back on it. And what did we do? Our deterrent efforts, all we did was keep cranking up the sentences. And now we're trying to backpedal on all these deterrent policies that don't work. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not going to truly deter people that have a drive that is beyond any level of deterrence. Yeah. Exactly. And this idea that when it comes to your, like, literal physical safety of you and your children, yeah. that you're going to stay there or... I mean, they're probably better off being in the cell in the cage anyway than they are being put to the mercy of these folks who are exploiting and abusing them. So, I mean, okay, so we get separated from our children, which is awful... Hopefully we'll be reunited, you know, and I know there's this argument of we don't know, hey, this may not even be your kid kind of thing, like that whole bullshit. But reality is that child and that parent, they're probably safer for now anyway in that cell where they're out of harm's way and they're getting, you know, at least one meal a day. They have a place to sleep without fear of, you know, God knows what happening to them. So this doesn't I don't even see how this really deters anyone from. I mean, it's it's horrendous and it's torture. Wade, yes. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, it's definitely horrendous. Uh, the other point I want to make real quick is we've talked about the homeless problem. So just to draw that uh, equivalency, homeless, are they an alcoholic? Homeless, are they a dad that suddenly ran into bad luck? Homeless, are they some guy that goes, I just want to be a free spirit? You know, homeless, are they mentally uh, 
you know, are they having mental issues? You can't just throw them all together and go, oh, that's homeless, yeah, and we're going to fix this problem. So the same thing on the border. They're rapists and criminals. Yeah. They're I the s- worst the country can send so us. So some of these people coming, why do they want to actually cross the border? Are they tormented and everything at, in Tijuana or Rosarito or Ensenada? I mean, can they stay in those areas of Mexico, or they just want to fight and come over to America? Well, I mean, you've already uprooted yourself. I mean, come on. Like, you're sitting at the border. You've gone 1,599 miles, well, right? I mean, look. But they're out of danger at that point. So, so this is the deal. I'm out of danger, but I'm choosing. Like, the first place that I attempt to resettle is where I have to resettle. Okay? So do I make Mexico my first place to resettle, or do I make the United States my first place to resettle? Mm-hmm. But will Mexico let you resettle easier than and less challenges than America. I mean, perhaps. Okay, so mm-hmm. there's a choice there that they're saying we're just going to bore through. And the cartels are a huge factor in some of these families being separated and the kids being taken. And there is documented that we found families that's not your kid. Mm-hmm. So they have to take the kid out who, of the custody who, of the cartel. Who, who documented that? Where would you get information on an asylum case and the facts and details of personal biographical identified information? I will look into it. Yeah, it, you you're don't. not going to find it. The hearings are actually held privately. Nobody can even observe the hearings. There's no one that is releasing information on minor children in detention. Mm-hmm. So the oh, idea I, I get that, but so, so then where would these? Uh, what about these, this? We have okay. So cases okay. So what from? about this? She heard someone say that. Yeah, Facebook. I don't just regurgitate what I hear. Mm. What I'm saying is, they did catch cartel people with children and took the child from that cartel person. That's not privileged in silent hearing information. Well, I mean, the idea that if you caught somebody coming across the border and they may have had a tattoo and they were a gang member or something like that, absolutely, that may have happened. And, and to your point, yes, cartels bring them up in some cases to be workers for their cartel. Exactly. Yeah. So the children are in danger. And so your your My, what, your way of fixing that is to j- put them back in danger? No, take them and put them in the cage and give them a good meal and a bath. Yeah, I mean, until but we that, figure but, it but, out. But that all that all happened before. I mean, if we had, this it, is not a new topic. No, this no, no. Is, but I'm saying, back. but I'm saying that has nothing to do with the change in policy. I agree, but I don't. I mean, Trump's then, Trump's made the world a horrible, horrible place. No, I know. that's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is the example that you're using. We already had means of dealing with it that were used. If we identify somebody that's part of a cartel, if we identify somebody that's a gang member. And we do this very strictly. I mean, when I talk about we, I include myself with CBP. Like, I am a U.S. citizen that wants strong borders just as much as I want to defend the humanitarian rights of individuals who enter our country legally or illegally. But once they're here, I'm going to defend them. So when we encounter somebody at the border, we check. We double check. We have a processing procedure that at the San Diego border, we can only move through 50 people a day. 
And there's a reason for that. It's because we have to take measures in vetting the people that are entering the United States. Mm-hmm. And if you have a tattoo or we run your fingerprints and we find out that you are a member of a gang or that you were convicted of drug smuggling or all of that, then you're not coming in. And if you got a kid with you, yeah, we're going to grab that kid and probably take that's, that kid. Okay, and we're so we're on the same page with that. But, but that but, doesn't bother me at all. I mean, but that's, that's what not be. what we're talking about. You're conflating two yeah, issues. Like exactly. we've always had the ability to do that. We changed a policy that said. We are going to take everybody. We're going to put them into a situation that they're, and we're going to say we're going to detain their kids separately from where we're going to detain the parents. That was the policy that was implemented. Okay, what used to happen was is, and now they've backpedaled to where there's available space. We have two family facilities in this country, legitimately. There's one up in Philadelphia, but we really only have two. They're in Texas. One's in Dilly. One's in in Carnes. If we don't have family space for these people, where are you going to put these kids? I mean, literally, if we follow the policy out, last week we moved 1,000 detainees into a federal medium security prison. So we took people that are seeking asylum, that uh, there's no alleged crime, and we're putting them in with convicted felons in a, in a medium security penitentiary. Mm-hmm. Under this policy, can we move kids in there? If it's the only space we have left? Are we going to put kids in with convicted felons, kids seeking yeah. asylum? So, I mean, look, obviously points well taken and we could go <laughs> and look, the, the, the fact of the matter is that when no matter what side, I mean, if you're, if you're listening to Fox, you're going to hear one side of the story. If you're listening to CNN, you're going to hear another side of the story. And, and seldom are we going to come together here and, and hear exactly the same thing in a way that makes sense to the other side. So reality, though, is. We've got, like you said, this is a, this is a humanitarian issue. It is right. So no, I don't care what side of the, you know, what leanings you have politically. We have children. We have uh, a, a teenagers. We have adults. We have human lives at stake here. So, in your mind, what needs to happen? Like, if, if you were, if you had the ability to snap your fingers and say, "This is the ideal outcome." Given all the the mess that's going on right now, what what would what would Rick Sturger do? I, I and, and you've said you and you've said you're all for you know in, enforcing the the laws and having borders that are safe and and keeping our citizens as as safe as possible. But we know that there's going to always be well, demand for people to come to our country. Hold on, Wade. Let Rick answer this question, then we'll get to you. <laughs> but, like, what – I mean, and, and recognize that you sit on both sides. I mean, you're not just completely like, hey, let's open up the borders and let everybody in. You understand – I mean, you were there for 9-11. I mean, you, you know terrorism is a real thing. You know that some of these assholes are just scooping up kids and kidnapping them and coming to the border and going, I'm here with my son. Please let me in. You know, kind of thing. And you know some of that's illegitimate. So what, what does Rick Sturger do? So let, I, I like to talk about practical reasons. I mean, one of the biggest things is, is like, let's create a system that actually uh, is a carrot instead of, you know, the, the whip. Mm-hmm. Um, let's create a system that we allow for temporary workers to come in and work in our country for five years. That has some type of goal that they have to go back a certain amount of time and maybe they come forward. If you wanted a very practical, I think long term we have to figure out. The reason I use that is long term we have to figure out how we allow people into our country. Because the idea that we're going to stop off immigration and that we're going to continue to grow our economy or any of those things that we really find valuable is a fallacy. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we have to figure out how we're going to do 
Is that because they come here, they get legit jobs, they spend, they put money into the economy, or is that because they do jobs that that Americans aren't willing to do? Like, I mean, what, or is it both? It's all of them. It's all all of the above. Yeah, and when we move these people in, like, if you look at the level of growth economically between the first few generations of people that are immigrants, it's, it's astonishingly greater than Americans that are two or three generations here. Well, like, we're we're just, we see it every right. time. We, on the every show, we've seen show that. We see it. Yeah. You know, the number of immigrants that we've had on the show who are first generation, like not even first generation, like their kids would be first generation. Like they came here and that hustle and that drive and that desire, like we get kind of complacent. I, I, you know, we get kind of lazy, right? Yeah, we cable's got, cheap. We, <laughs> I mean, but we've got, you know, we've got all the trappings, you know, we, we live in our nice homes and, you know, be, and, and when I say that, I mean, it's, it's a relative term, but, you know, a shithole apartment here is a nice place to somebody who's sleeping on a dirt road. So, you know, reality is we get caught up in a, in a lot of those trappings and the immigrants, you can look at all, what they have done in terms of boosting the economy and bringing jobs and, I mean, across the board, I think if we're going to sit here and we're going to say, as a whole, have immigrants benefited the, the, the culture, benefited society more than they have been a detriment to society? And, so, and I think across the board, we can, we can, there, there's no argument there. I mean, yes, there are a few bad apples, and it's like the signs you see up, like, don't drive on the sidewalk, because some asshole drove on the sidewalk. You've got this <laughs> sign there. But it's like, you know, reality is across the board. We can't just lump them all into this bucket and say that, you know, we've got we, we to just close off the spigot, and, 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 and the next immigrant that comes into our country is going to somehow do something to harm us. That's because right. Because it's, it's factually incorrect. And, and the reality of this is, is that we've had a constantly evolving immigration policy. We've had constantly. So we're looking at, you know, it's, it, we're, we're ready for an upgrade. Mm-hmm. We, we live in a different economy, a different world, and we have, we have lots of challenges that we're dealing with. And we have to look at an immigration policy that addresses the specifics I of the time we find ourselves in. That's look, very reasonable. Yeah. And, it's, so and it should I, I will be give inclusion, not too. exclusion. Because this is just this is just, and then really ahead, want to hear no, no. those examples. This really is just where do we want to put the parentheses of time? Oh, that's know, what you're drawing I, on the I, yeah, table there. I'll try to figure out what you're drawing on the table. Right. <laughs> and I'll go back, and some people get all upset, especially someone that probably looks at it the way Mary looks at it. I'm sure Mary won't like this comment. But we came and took the land from other people. Mm-hmm. At, I mean, we're all the, fucking the, immigrants the, when you come right down to it. We're all right? So, and then all of a sudden... I did not, this, my people did not immigrate. This, we were brought right, you're here. You're not even an immigrant, right? It's like, yeah, you're <laughs> oh, yeah, like oh, yeah. against but your look, will. But don't open That's that right. one because there weren't white people selling the, the black people. Their black people were selling the black people to oh, the I white know, people. So I there's know, always been this problem. We're As human beings, we, our minds would completely blow up if we were designed to pay attention to everything that's the same. We're designed to pay attention to things that are different. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's what stands out. It's what makes, you know, it's, so let me just get back to this so Rick can say his point. It's where we decide to put the parentheses in time. It, it, at one point in time, literally, we took the land from someone else. And then we kept taking the land until we got to the other side of the land. And then we put up borders and we started saying, this is our land now. Mm-hmm. And we're going to make these rules and these laws. And so to the point where I think Rick's going with this is if we could make the laws be inclusive instead of exclusive, saying that this is all part of it. There's not one economy in this freaking world since the history of time that has any kind of economic growth that has been sustainable with a declining birth rate. And we're about ready to see that. And if we didn't have immigration, this place is going to fall to shit anyway. 
And, and we got to just look at it like these things are going to happen because we're building a place where we're trying to be inclusive yeah. of all these people. And if we start to say, oh, it's here and I did it this way and I did it right, but we built this amazing place and now put up all these walls and we're not and no one's going to try to get into this place. It's just, it is a fallacy, too. So yeah. we need to come up with ways that don't just sensationalize either side, because I, I truly think, you know, talk to me long enough there's times you'll think i'm far right there's times you think i'm far left i'm mostly left but i have my you know but so truly i think it's about an upgrade amendments to the constitution are it used to be this way and we gave it an upgrade yeah wade what were you gonna hold on wade you've been like patiently waiting over there yeah just a couple of things real quick um back in the you know, colonial times and pre that. So we've gone from French Revolution now to colonial. Right. We're, mo- we're moving forward. Okay. Exactly. Got the it. British yes. were bitching about the Germans coming in and screwing up the culture. Mm-hmm. Well, they Back were right. Then. Right. So, <laughs> so, damn, that brought words. Um, but uh, so, like everybody's saying, this isn't new. In agriculture, there's something called hybrid vigor. You have to introduce fresh blood into the environment to have growth. So even if we had even if we didn't have declining birth rates, we need immigrants. They they enhance the thing. And then the final thing is you know, talk about real solutions. How about enforcing e-verify? How about if sure. – tell you what, let, let me ask you what would happen to the immigration problem. This is the loudest I've ever heard you, by the way. Like this, this, yeah. this, is, this is Wade in his element right there. <laughs> Jesus, keep going, my man. Yes. Yeah, one of the things e- I think verify. about. Yes. Well, he's yeah. trying to go through the process legally right That's now. That's true. You, yeah, this is oh, yeah, my, 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 Exactly. But imagine if this was the rules of the land. If you have the position of hiring, the responsibility of hiring in your company, and you don't follow – an enhanced e-verifier, whatever we set up as the rules of the road, it's a felony. You're going to prison. Mm. How many illegals would be being hired? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Rick, where so where are you at with things? I mean, we're uh, yeah, we're okay. Have so to there's wrap a couple at some things. point, and All right. <laughs> I, just, I mean, not that I want to, but uh, but you know, it is the reality of what we're doing. So I think here. I so, can close with three things. Please, yeah, I mean, we've got I mean, we got a little bit of time, okay. but I want to make sure you get in some of your points. So one is we need to have a con- we need to have immigration that makes sense. Right, we need to we need to do something to allow for immigration, the immigration that we want, and it needs to make sense. But we're talking specifically about Mexico, to- Guatemala, those places, because have you seen the population at UCSD? There's a lot of people coming from other countries to school here. You know, the That's- Chinese and everybody they they immigrate immigrant here too yeah those chinese are paying like five times tuition and keeping our schools open <laughs> so yeah but California. i'm just saying we do bring in fresh blood from other countries in the world it's not like we cut the border for we everybody. bring in fresh yeah. blood or like, they, they come like, here and they come here and they do it yeah, legally and can, they live here i can give a number of specific examples and i'm trying not to get into like just okay the, the overall issue if we're going to find solutions we have to look at something at least talk about it in broad and we can look at all the minute examples that draw away from that so we need an immigration policy policy that makes sense that's upgraded to deal with our current economic situation and employment and the way employment is today Mm -hmm. and the needs of our economy. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing that we're never going to be successful at is when we round people up and put them in pens. Mm -hmm. Like every time we ever do that, we are ashamed of it. It doesn't matter whether we're ripping black kids from their parents or ripping Native Americans from their parents or, or Japanese, Japanese during World turning War II. Japanese in World War II. Yeah, and like, camps every don't work. time we do this, we look back on history and we're ashamed of it. 
Like Absolutely. it's it's we there's not one example of rounding people up that we go. That was a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> we so should do it again. We find yeah. ourselves back at a place where like the outrage is 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 legitimate. So that's not going to be the answer to try and round everybody up. That's not going to be it. So Let's talk about specifically at the border. And this is something that most people don't understand. There's two ways to enter the United States. One is you can present yourself at a port of entry. Now, you may not have a visa, which means it's not legal for you to enter. Mm -hmm. But you can be subject to expedited removal. Okay? That means where they can administratively, a border patrol can say, you don't have a visa, you're removed from this country, here's the order. And the one thing that you can do is that you can claim that you're afraid to remove back to, to be brought back to your country. Mm-hmm. And then you go through a process where you will be interviewed, and if, you're, if, you're, if it's reasonable that you are afraid to move to go back to your country, then you will be able to go before an immigration judge, and you'll be able, well, and you'll be able to present a case mm-hmm. uh, for asylum, mm-hmm. right? And you have one year to file that, and there's very specific guidelines. You have to fit into certain categories. You have to have certain levels of proof. There, there's like an entire body of law that's developed around what asylum means and who gets asylum. And you have an access to that process. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's, that's an arriving alien. Now, under the current law, if we enforce it exactly how it's written, an arriving alien is not eligible for bond. So an immigration judge, even if it's backed up five years, an arriving alien, if the government decides to, they can hold that arriving alien for those five years. Mm. No recourse. Mm-hmm. Okay, if I cross the border and turn myself into the first CBP officers I see, which, by the way, is what normally happens. These guys are not out there like hunting, dodging CBP yeah. or anything like that. You know, they come across the border and they turn themselves in. They don't run. They're not a threat to these officers uh, and they're turning themselves in when they're placed in removal proceedings. The immigration judge, as soon as they're in the custody of ICE, the immigration judge has jurisdiction to grant bond. How ridiculous is that? So you enter illegally, you're eligible for bond. Mm-hmm. Is that catch and release or some or a different name? No, I mean, you, you're literally, the government is required, I, all I have to show to an IJ for somebody who's entered, found in the country without legal status, all I have to, and they're in the custody of ICE, all I have to do is make a showing to the immigration judge mm-hmm. that they're not a flight risk and they're not a public safety concern. Mm-hmm. And that amount for bond can be set. Mm-hmm. Okay? But if, I'm, if I actually do it the right way and show up at the border, the government, the IJ does not have reason, mm-hmm. it doesn't have jurisdiction to offer me bond. Mm-hmm. So I can be held for years. for years. So we're literally, our laws are driving people over to do this. Second of all, because our capacity is so low, like I told you earlier, we can only process about 50 people a day. We need to increase our capacity for processing people. Mm-hmm. You know, when we turn, what happens when we can't process people is we turn them away. Now, I do know of a number of bad apple cases. I have very specific cases of my own of what some of the officers say when they're turning people away, mm-hmm. which isn't the, – the real reason is we don't have the capacity to keep moving them, moving them through. It's not that we don't offer asylum in the United States, which oftentimes gets said or reported back to me as being said. Yeah. If we increase our capacity for bringing people in, we're not going to keep sending people back that come into line. And then ultimately what they do is they go and they cross someplace uh, five miles down the road and turn themselves mm-hmm. into CBP, and then they're in the country. So mm-hmm. that's a real practical change. Like, why not reverse it? Why not allow somebody that presents themselves, goes through the process of being 
uh, vetted at the time and then is placed into removal proceedings after establishing that they have a reasonable fear of persecution back in their country and that they and that's basically that they they have a possibility of winning their case then allow them to be paroled out Mm -hmm. and that seems like the way we should do it as opposed to forcing people into the desert get caught and then we're going to allow you to parole yourself in all right let's do this so uh, we just have a few minutes left here. Let me let me ask you a question. So people right now, like, who's your ideal client? Who's hiring you? Who do you love working with most? And how do people get a hold of you? Oh, I love that. Thank you. Sure. Uh, my ideal client, uh, 80% of our practice is exclusively dedicated to uh, removal defense. So that's actually people who are placed in proceedings. So if you've been picked up and or you know somebody that's been picked up, you're you know, the, the guy that has been doing your groceries for 10 years or the guy that's been detailing your car for the last five years or mm-hmm. the guy that's, you know, mowing your lawn and all of a sudden he's gone and you find out that I suspect him up. Those are the people that I represent. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, usually it takes a family member or somebody to step in and step up and retain me. People are detained initially. Uh, we start with the bond hearing. We then uh, see them through the removal process. Mm-hmm. And uh, a large part of my business today, because we've had so much change recently, is, is we're moving up to the appellate level. So we have appeals to the Board of Immigration Appeals and the Ninth Circuit. So we handle it all the way kind of from when you're detained all the way through your end appeal. Yeah. And so uh, best way to get a hold of you? Uh, you know, call the office, 760-260-8158, 760-260-8158, or you can visit us on the web, www.theimmigrationguy.com. Yeah, man. I mean, look, uh, obviously we've been talking about this for all of, you know, 45 <laughs> minutes or whatever it is, but I, 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 from my perspective, uh, and I'm sure Rich and, and Mary and Wade and Everyone will agree. I mean, you've definitely opened our eyes to some different ways to, to think about this and, uh, and presented a couple of, uh, of, of certainly very viable options uh, in terms of how we can potentially uh, begin moving forward here. And, I, you know, I, I mean, it, it breaks my heart the same way I'm sure it breaks yours and the same way it breaks yours, Mary, mm-hmm. and, and Rich and everyone else. I mean, it's just it, it's we can't continue down this path of of addressing illegal uh, border crossing or immigration, whatever, however you want, whatever term you want to throw at it, the one thing that is certainly going to hold true and hold consistent here is um, no one wants to see anyone getting getting hurt. That's you know? right. I mean, we're all you you have no idea what they've gone through to get to that you know that position there of being taken into custody and, and being separated. From, I mean. Again, when, when you look at it and you realize that that's the lesser of two evils, then by all means, stop trying to say, you know, what, what should or should not be done under those circumstances unless you've actually been in those circumstances and know what it is that you're moving away from in order to come to, to that, right? Yeah. So, all right, my friends. Well, look, uh, all we can do is tell you to reach out for your reach out for your congressmen, reach out for your senators, reach out for your politicians that might be able to make a difference here and let them know your thoughts. And for Rick Sturger and Mary Gulland, Richie Ote, I'm Steve Olsher, and we'll talk to you next time. You just got dismantled. Thanks for listening to Reinvention Radio. For more information about the show and your host, Steve Olsher, visit reinventionradio.com. 
Attention coaches, authors, speakers, and business owners. Please pay close attention to what I'm about to say if you want to secure massive visibility fast and generate thousands of highly qualified leads without spending a dime on advertising or marketing. The easiest way to make this happen is to appear as a guest on the world's most popular podcast. We recently came across an awesome resource that provides detailed contact information for 240 new media influencers who are looking for guests just like you. It's called the Ultimate Directory, and for a limited time, you can get the preview edition of the directory absolutely free. That's right, for free. It's time for you to get the visibility you and your business deserve and connect with the world's leading icons of influence who can make you famous with the push of a button. Get your free preview edition of the Ultimate Directory right now at www.myultimatedirectory.com That's myultimatedirectory.com